Please remain standing as we continue worship with a reading from Luke 16, 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being tormented, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning, y'all. Thanks, Josh. That was sprightly. I don't know about y'all, but that worship it was a party in my head, and my headphones sounded great. I don't know how it sounded out here, but man, I was, mm. And then we read that hard stop scripture that just pulled us all back to, whoa, you know. Uh, okay, sorry. Let's get to work. Hey, good morning. Um, I'm, I'm Chris. I'm glad you're here. I'm the teaching pastor. Actually, my autocorrect says I'm the teaching pastry here at Riverstone, so... Autocorrect. Um, if you have your Bibles, open them to John 5. Um, our rhythm is we dig into the Bible, well, we come to the table, and then we make space um, to receive prayer at the end. Today we're going to jump right in. Let me give you a little context uh, to what we are about to read, because like the one we read at the beginning, it's a doozy. Um, the basic scene of what we're about to read in John 5 is Jesus' authority is being questioned, uh, like severely, uh, severely questioned, like uh, he did a no-no. Uh, according to the religious of his day. Um, we, we all, in our different spaces, uh, come to Jesus uh, with this same question that we're going to dig into today. Um, basically, the question is, who do you think you are? And, and that's what's happening in this scene. Uh, some people are coming to Jesus. Their feathers had been stirred up because he'd done a no-no, according to them. And their question was, who do you think you are? You, you actually have the same question going on in your life right now, whether you know it or not. The authority of Christ will be the defining feature of your life, whether you know it or not. The conclusion you come to, to this question right now, Jesus, who do you think you are? I think we don't realize the ramifications and the severity and the consequences that this question causes up in our life and we actually sit to think about it. So this question has been turned up to 11 in this scene. Jesus healed a dude on the Sabbath. 
the religious guys, the 518 actually tells us the pastors are coming up with a plan to kill Jesus. That's a fun sentence, right? Number one, because he healed on the Sabbath. But number two, perhaps more infuriating to them, was he was saying things that was making himself equal with God. So that's not just a no-no, that's blasphemy. And these boys don't take blasphemy sitting down. So we're going to pick up um, as Jesus is responding to them about his authority being questioned. Okay? That's where we're going to pick it up. So we'll read, then I'll pray, um, and then let's just see what God might say to us. Um, John 5, I'm going to start in 36. I'm going to read to 47. should be on the screen if you have your Bible. It's awesome too. But the testimony that I have, remember Jesus is speaking, is greater than that of John, referring to John the Baptist, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures. It's Jesus talking. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it's they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. Remember, he's, this is the idea of like a witness, getting a witness to, to verify his authority, right? I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you don't have the love of God within you. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings... How will you believe my words? Let me pray for us. Father, I ask, Holy Spirit, you would come into this room. Lord, would you manifest yourself to us, to our hearts right now? Uh, Father, I, I pray that you would manifest your power and presence to us by dissolving unbelief in our hearts. Uh, Father, would you give us faith today? God, I pray that you would attack unbelief in us that has lodged itself in the center of our religious life. Help us, Jesus, Son of God, to come to you that we may have life. Amen. Let's first remember who Jesus is talking to before we get into this, because this is really important for us to understand the significance of this uh, little, little sequence, this exchange that Jesus is having. The question is, who is he having this exchange with? And then we'll look at some of the claims he's making and see what it might mean for us. So number one, who's he talking to? Who is Jesus addressing? Well, like we said earlier, he's addressing the religious elite, the pastors, the bishops, the community leaders. That's who he's talking to. Y'all, he's talking to the modern-day equivalent of me, 
They were professional religious people, all right, paid to do the deal. It's not quite the same as me, but it's very, very similar because in Jesus' day, priests, Pharisees, Sadducees had incredible power, okay? Not so necessarily with me today. They had, obviously, religious power, okay? That's we, granted, but they also had judicial power. They also had social power and even political power. Remember, when Jesus was crucified, who was it that had Pilate's ear? It was these guys. These guys could get innocent men killed, and they did. 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 2, Paul refers to these political religious powers as the rulers of the age. But the most important fact about these guys who he's talking to is that these men were authorities on God. And they were authorities on scripture, all right? These were biblical scholars. They were authors. They were the speakers of their day. They were the experts. Dude, most of these guys had first five books of the Bible completely memorized. That's who he's talking to. People that have made a living, probably like top of the food chain living off of being experts on God, being a religious expert. Okay, now what's the main issue being addressed? What is Jesus getting at? Well, the main crux of this whole deal is who is Jesus? right? Is he the Messiah? Messiah, everyone knows, right? What's Messiah? What's that mean? What's Messiah? It's a churchy word. Everyone, we would kind of grant, we take for granted, we all know. It means anointed one, but that doesn't help us either, does it? <laughs> what Messiah means, it's a figure that's foretold of all through the Hebrew scripture, the entire old scripture, right? And this figure, this Messiah, this guy, this anointed one, this rescuer would come and he would undo the curse of the sin, undo the curse of death and triumph over darkness and injustice. Dude, all through the Old Testament, you're going to find these traces, these prophecies, these kind of sweet dreams, as it were, of this figure who's going to come and vanquish evil once and for all, right? That's the main issue he's dealing with. And his answer to the question is, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. That's what he's trying to say. But the second issue Jesus is also addressing in this situation is what is the point of scripture? Why read it? How are we to read it? What's supposed to happen when we read scripture? Because apparently for these guys, knowing scripture like the back of their hand did not accomplish the thing it was supposed to accomplish according to Jesus. So that should make us a little nervous, all right? If you're a Bible reading, church attending Christian, all right? Because what Jesus is getting at is you can be in the midst of all that stuff. Know it right and left, right? Be like teaching the lessons, man. Like up preaching on the Bible, right? And miss the point. Like this should be a little uncomfortable for us. So the religious elite are saying in response, they're saying, they're saying you can't be the Messiah. What are, they, what are they saying? What's their point? Their points are you can't be the Messiah because you're breaking Sabbath and you're talking crazy. All right, you're talking heresy. And Jesus gives two things that are bearing witness. That's what he said. You guys catch it? That my notes are the Bible today, okay? Two things that are bearing witness that he is the one who will vanquish weeping and the cry of distress and make all things new like it's foretold in Isaiah 56. He gives two reasons to affirm that he's the guy. So that's what we're going to dig into. Um, the first, he says... I am sent by God because the very works I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So the first thing, the first logical argument that Jesus gives these religious elite is look at what I'm doing. Look at the works. Uh, Jesus actually did this a lot. When John the Baptist was questioning Jesus, is, are you the guy? In response, Jesus said, look at what I'm doing. Apparently, what Jesus was doing was really, really important to clue us in on who he thought he was, 
Okay? And what, what was the works? What was Jesus doing? Well, this script, if you go earlier, it tells us that what happened was he healed a man on the Sabbath. This dude had been crippled 38 years, and he healed this guy on the Sabbath. That's the work that he was doing. And if you look at when Jesus tells John, hey, when John's questioning his authority, Jesus says, hey, go tell John what you see. The list is supernatural power encounters that Jesus was doing. In Jesus' ministry, I don't know if you've read the New Testament, it's fascinating. In the ministry of Jesus, what you see him doing is healing people and confronting spiritual powers of darkness. What happens in the ministry of Jesus over and over and over again is people's bodies are getting healed and demonically, the, the demonically influenced are being set free. Those are the works that Jesus says, these are the things bearing witness that I am who I say I am, that I am the Son of God. Look at what I'm doing. Okay, so let's just, let's get into like a logical, like argumentative you know, type, type mode. Okay, well, you might say that doesn't necessarily mean you're God in the flesh. Wouldn't, couldn't a cynic say that? Couldn't you say that? If you doubt the authority of Jesus, you say, okay, look, Jesus, look, there's been plenty of people who have claimed miraculous powers, has there not? Of course there has. Shamans, witch doctors claim supernatural healings. Absolutely. What's the difference between them and Jesus? Well, it's interesting that those who saw Jesus' ministry, those who saw his work said things like, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone's opened the eyes of a man born blind. So one of the features of Jesus' work in his ministry is this stuff that they're saying, that, dude, we, this is next level stuff. All right, so that's one thing. But the biggest difference between Jesus and every other miracle claimer in, in history is that Jesus is doing all of these things in the open streets. Read the book, man. Nowhere, well, in some places you see him going in houses and saying, hey, get out, and then stuff, stuff happens. But most of the time, Jesus is doing this stuff in the open streets. It, Jesus was not the kind of healer that you know, a guy comes out of a dark alley and says, I've been healed. Like, it wasn't claims that couldn't really be verified. It was in the middle of crowds, right? Jesus is healing members of the community that everyone knew. I don't know if you remember the story about the guy oppressed by, um, like, Legion. Remember that guy? And the whole town comes out because, like, dude, that guy's been, he's Lulu crazy, right? Lululemon. I don't know why. That came in my head. But he's crazy. random. I shouldn't say that kind of stuff. That guy was crazy, and the whole town comes out and witnesses the power of Jesus, his authority over evil spirits, right? But even in Jesus' day, y'all, there were plenty of people who said, just because you can do miracles doesn't prove you're the Son of God. You know what they said to him? They would say, well, you cast out demons, okay, like we can see that, right? We can, we can, it's obviously you have power, you have authority, but your power's from Satan, that, that was what they said to Jesus. It's dark, it's magic for sure, but it's dark magic, right? You can't deny you have power, but it's not heavenly power. It's hellish power, which Jesus like totally demolishes, right? Remember the question we're asking is, are you from God? Are you the son of God? Are you the one with authority? And they're saying, well, you have authority, but it ain't from God. It's from the evil one, right? And of course, Jesus demolishes the argument. He says, y'all, listen, if my authority is from the evil one, every kingdom by against itself is laid waste, right? A divided house can't fall. But at the bottom, he says, but if it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Very interesting. See, Jesus is pointing to his work, his ministry, as the verification that what? The kingdom of God had come. That says a whole lot about what the kingdom of God is. Jesus says, you can think, that. You can think that maybe I'm doing this stuff by evil power, but if you're wrong, if I am 
working and expressing the heart of God to humanity by healing people and vanquishing oppressive spirits, then God's kingdom has come to your doorstep and you have said no thanks. See, Jesus' supernatural works then and now point to one thing, right? There's a reason they're called signs. Signs are not the point, guys. Signs point to something else. What do they point to? That's the whole idea. What do these signs point to? It's like the old Orient. Do you ever see Bruce Lee? Any Bruce Lee fans out there? Remember the old Oriental proverb? You know, don't stare at the finger pointing at the moon, or you miss all that heaven. Heaven we go. We. How he says it, Bruce Lee. Anyone? Have you seen that movie? Anyone old enough to remember that? No. Okay. Jay. Yeah. You got me, dog. All right, Bruce Lee. All right. Yeah. You don't stare at the finger, or you're gonna miss what it's pointing at. This is what happens all the time with Christians in signs and wonders and miracles. We get really distracted by the miracle because we don't really believe things can happen. So when it happens, we're like, what? what Dude, it's, it's a sign. It's pointing to something. The sign's not the point, right? That's why they're called signs. And here Jesus is saying, signs bear witness to one thing, who he is. His authority. His authority. His kingship. His identity in the cosmos, y'all. He, he tells these guys, All these signs that you're seeing are affirming one thing. I am God come to man. And I and I alone have authority over spiritual oppression and darkness. In fact, later, Jesus would say, listen, listen. If I'm not doing the works of the Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works. That you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Y'all. This is the claim of Jesus. This is light years away from good moral teacher. This is light years away from you've come to be an example for us that we can strive for and and live up to. Light years away from that. Not the claim of Jesus. In fact, later in John 10.30, he's going to take it a step further. He's going to say, listen, I and the Father are one. And the works that I'm doing show that I'm from the Father. And for many today and then, it's when God supernaturally intervenes that people's resistance to the gospel lessens, and they look at the claims of Jesus anew. Happened in that day, and it happens in our day. Let's listen to a podcast of an Indian pastor um, who's out in the the bushes in the country of India, rural areas of India, and he said that 70% of their converts in their church became Christians because of supernatural healings. That's today. Now, I know that's opening a whole can of worms for some of us in here. And and what's happening right now is worldviews are colliding. And the limitations of what we think possible are colliding with another definition of what's possible in the world. I understand that, but I'm just telling you, the signs and the works of Jesus, the supernatural works of Jesus are happening today just like they were happening when he was on the earth by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know that's a tough sell for some of us. But when they do happen, they are not the point. The the point is they are addressing something in your heart as to who has ultimate authority in the cosmos. That's the point. Jesus is trying to tell you something. And it's a pretty strong point, right? I mean, I don't know anyone else who can give sight to the blind or make a mute speak or tell the cripple to stand up and walk. So, you know, I'm inclined to kind of, okay. But most of his time is spent on his second point. And he says this. So that's the first witness. First thing bearing witness is like, look at what I'm doing. That's what he says. The second thing bearing witness, he says, the Father himself 
has borne witness about me. Now, what on earth is Jesus talking about? The Father has borne, how? Well, he goes on. He says, his voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen. You don't have his word in you, for you don't believe the one whom he has sent. You search, the, so what's he talking about here? Here he goes. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it's they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. He's talking about how they approach and understand scripture. The other thing that bears witness to Jesus, what he's saying, is the entire Hebrew scripture. The Tanakh. The Old Testament, same, same as it was then as it is now. Same book that the Jews have today as we have now. It's a little categorized a little differently in the Tanakh, but it's the same books. They, or, they organize it differently, but it's the same books. He's saying that entire book, right, bears witness to me and says to dudes that had the first five books of that memorized, you don't have his word abiding in you. How can he say that? Dude. Jesus said to guys who had, I mean, anyone like you were like, you know, we're like impressed with ourselves. So we're like, God so loved the world. Dude, the Pentateuch, they had the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, like memorized. Dudes could just bring it out. And Jesus says, you don't have my word in you. How can he say to guys who had given their entire life to studying scripture, you've missed the point. No wonder they killed the guy, right? Like, he's, like, attacking their professional competence. You don't have the word in you. It's berserk, right? Jesus, y'all, what is he doing here? He is in his mercy pointing out a position in which it is possible to spend your whole life's religious efforts in study and service and sacrifice and completely miss the point. And it really makes a sense a lot about the state of the church in America if you think about it. Jesus is pointing out a position in which you can be saturated with the word and, not, and still be in death. You could be volunteering, giving, doing all the things, right, and still be in death because you're refusing something in the seat of your heart, right? And it, we confuse it because we think, I, my knowledge is awesome. I'm super smart, right? No, I've done all, all sorts of study, right? I don't know if you find this disturbing, but it is extremely disturbing to me, and it probably should be in my position, Right? How can he say that they've never heard God's voice and they searched the scripture but it's still in death? He goes on. If you believed Moses, you would believe me. Jesus is making some audacious claims here, y'all. Number one, he's saying the whole of the Hebrew scripture bears witness to one thing. There's one point to the Old Testament. That's what Jesus just said. Secondly, and more shocking, he's the point. <laughs> Okay? Third, and equally as shocking, you guys don't even believe that. Dude, <laughs> this is like, this is like Jesus, like, kung, like, one, two, through uppercut, right? Like, th this is, in, this is in, 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 intense. That's the word I'm looking for. Jesus is saying to these guys, dude, the whole of your faith, your entire approach to religion has missed the point, and you don't even believe the things you say you believe. And the crux of it all was that it came down to Jesus as the center issue. He was the offense, right? He says, you don't even believe the stuff that you say you believe. It's, it's really uh, jarring, right? And part of the issues that he's addressing here is their understanding of Scripture. Apparently, Jesus thought... It was abundantly clear. This is why we read the scripture beforehand. Jesus thought it was abundantly clear that the Old Testament was about one thing. 
right? And he says as much in other places. In Luke 24, 44, he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, that's the three sections of the Old Testament that the Hebrew people had chopped it up in, right? The prophets, the writings, and the um, Pentateuch, law of Moses. He said, all of these things had to be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture and said to them, thus it is written, what's he talking about, the Old Testament? Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem to Jesus. It was abundantly clear what the Old Testament was about. And it was about the need for and the nature of the work of the Messiah, what he would do when he came that we needed him desperately, and what it would look like when the Messiah came. The whole thing, the whole, guys, the entire Old Testament is delineating a silhouette of the anointed one, of the Messiah. It's a silhouette that no one had filled. And then when you begin to realize that Jesus alone fill, that fills that silhouette, man, everything's like that. So the whole Old Testament is a prophecy. That's what he's saying, that someone would suffer and take on the evil and death that sin brought into the world and be the source of new creation. That's what he's saying the whole Old Testament points to. That like God provided a lamb instead of Abraham's son, so God would provide a sacrifice for sin once and for all. Like, like Moses led his people out of slavery, so this anointed one, this Messiah, would defeat the powers of oppression and slavery. Like God spared the Hebrews from death by putting blood on the doorpost, so the blood of the Messiah would help would let those pass from death into life. This is how Jesus read the Old Testament, y'all. And for him, it was plain as day as, that anyone can see. And he's saying, if you believe that, that's what he's saying to these guys, if you guys had believed the scriptures you already know, you would know that all of it's pointing to your great need to be rescued and what that rescue would look like. So much so that what we read beforehand, Jesus, when the rich man begs uh, that someone would rise from the dead and go warn his brothers, uh, what, is, what does he say through Abraham? He says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Right? And to the rich man replies, no, 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 no. But if, Ab if someone goes to them from the dead, then they'll believe. And he said, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will be convinced someone to rise from the dead. Now, it's very interesting here. These are the two things that Jesus is pointing to that verify his ministry. Supernatural work of God, someone rising from the dead, and the scriptures. Same two things that he's mentioning here, right? Jesus knew that unbelief and pride is a state that blinds you, even when the evidence is right in front of you. And he mentions the same two things here. Supernatural occurrence, someone rising from the dead, and scripture bearing witness to what he is doing, right? This is exactly what Jesus is addressing in the religious elite. All right, so let's, let's chat. Let's chat. He's addressing, in this very uncomfortable scripture, a condition in which you can know scripture backwards and forwards, be doing all the things right religiously, even be seeing supernatural things happening right in front of your face and still be in death because you are refusing to acknowledge Jesus is who he says he is and that he can do the things he says he can do. And he says, until that internal decision has been made in your heart, you will stay in death. Jesus was not a good moral teacher. No good moral teacher would say that. This is next level stuff. This isn't a philosophy for living. This is something completely different than that. He's saying, until there is this internal decision in your heart about who I am, who Jesus is, 
Until that's settled, you will remain in death no matter how much scripture you know. Huh? This is why when people say to me they've tried Christianity and it didn't work, I think, I always think, well, maybe. Like maybe you tried Christian community. Maybe you tried church. Maybe you tried reading the Bible a bit. But did you acknowledge Jesus' authority over your life? Did you acknowledge his complete and total right over you? Or did you just kind of want to fit in with the church kids for a bit? Right? Did you acknowledge that he was Lord and King? How do you acknowledge that someone's Lord and King? By surrendering, (laughs) by letting their way happen, right? So so I always wonder, like, okay, maybe maybe you tried Christianity. Maybe you just tried church. Not the same thing. Maybe you tried Jesus, or maybe you just tried Christendom. You know what Christendom is? That's the culture of Christianity. Maybe you just got in subculture. Maybe you were born in the South. Right? Big newsflash, right? Born in the South doesn't mean you're a Christian, right? Maybe you preach, right? All these things you can do and remain in death if the authority of Jesus has not been acknowledged in your life. And Jesus gets the root issue for these guys, and it might be the root issue for some of us. He says, you receive glory from one another, but you don't see the glory that comes from God. He's addressing the fact that in their entire religious system, all their efforts, all their study, all their church services had become a rooster show. It was all to please each other, right? For them, knowing scripture wasn't how you loved God. It was how you got one leg up over Jehoshaphat, right? In the temple, right? They had effectively removed, listen, listen, wake up, here we go. They had effectively removed God from their entire religious formula. They'd removed God. No personal relationship had any real meaning and impact in their lives and heart. No, it had become a social club. And, and that reflected everything for them. It'd become a rooster show, right? And if you look back at why God said he established the law, why he established the temple, you know what the point of all that was? So that God could dwell with man. That was the, t- that was the point of it all, right? And if you're, if you're like, I'm not sure about that. No, the, go- the goal was always relational intimacy. If you don't believe me, go to the last chapter of, or, uh, la- t- second 21st chapter of Revelation and see where the end of creation is headed for. If, I'll read it for you. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be, and you can read this beautiful passage, right? Dude, the whole point of the law, of the temple, all the things, so that God could dwell with man, right? So that he want, God wants to remove the curse of sin and death from your heart that you might Know and enjoy him forever. Dude, that's, I know that, I know when we've grown up in church, we turn off our minds when we hear that kind of language, but that's the goal of our faith. It's to know God. It's to know him, enjoy him, love him, rejoice in him. See, they had taken the law and the instructions of God and had made the goal of all that stuff, not loving and enjoying God, but loving and enjoying the power of social prestige that God could get them. See, they, they didn't care. If their hearts were pleasing to God, they only cared if, it, if their bodies and their outside were pleasing to those around them. And what they had done, and what many of us do, especially in the South, is we take the whole schema and we turn it horizontal. See, the whole thing is made for this interaction. And what we do is we take the entire schema, all of the stuff, and we turn it horizontal, right? So, so the point of reading scripture is so you can drop it in small group and everyone's like, man, he is so smart, right? Y'all, it's the ever-present danger of our faith 
that we turn everything in a way in which we gain the applause of men and quit seeking to please God at all in our hearts, right? It's the ever-present danger of our faith, especially in the Bible Belt South, right? It's that we begin to understand Scripture, not as a mean of knowing and loving God, but as a mean to gain religious reputation, right? In the bubble where religious reputation happens to be the thing, right? Where we learn to memorize Scripture so that people think it's... Dude, this is the danger of cool Christianity. Let's chat for a second. When being a Christian is cool and accepted and the cool thing, right? Uh, this was their context, y'all. It was socially beneficial to be religious for these guys. And it muddied the waters and caused them to completely miss the point. Listen, listen right here. I know it's like heady today. Listen, when Christians are killed in the streets and dragged into the arena and burned at the stake, this is, not a, this is a much less dangerous situation here. Huh? It's when our faith can also gain us political power, social prestige, or success in business that we are in danger of confusing what the goal is of being a Christian. We chatting? All of the material good that may come from being a Christian pales in comparison to knowing and loving God. It's what, it's what Paul was gripped by when he said, I consider all my religious accolades rubbish compared to knowing Christ Jesus. Listen, when a soldier stops trying to please his commanding officer and instead focuses on showboating for his comrades, he ends up making a fool of himself and becoming totally ineffective on, in the battlefield, right? That guy's lost the objective, man. He's muddied the motivations of why he's in the fight in the first place. If all your reading and praying and effort isn't out of a hunger for God himself, hmm? if it doesn't come from something in you that says, I must have God, I want to please him, I want to know him, I want to walk with him, Jesus is saying you've completely missed the point, and it's become a show. And you're using heavenly things to secure earthly things. When this becomes a situation in their hearts and in our hearts, you are only using God to get what you want. And Jesus says your faith is not existent. In fact, you don't even believe. He asks, how can you believe if you receive glory from one another and don't seek the only glory that comes from God? When our eyes are set on pleasing people, y'all, if we fear men more than we fear God, our ministry loses all effectiveness and power and we essentially become a dog chasing our tail. And it happens all the day in churches, all the time in churches, right? Now, that's not permission to be a jerk and not care what people think, not at all. Jesus is framing our entire faith, right? He's saying, if all of your reading and praying and giving and serving does not come from a heart which says, I must have God himself, if I could but touch the hem of his garment, right? If I could be a little bit closer to him, my heart would find his home. If that's not your heart and all the stuff, you've missed the point, right? And I fear that many of our entire faiths can be a long exercise in missing the point. If you're in this room right now just to keep up social status, like, if you're volunteering so people will think you're cool and on the in crowd, if you're reading scripture just so you can tell others, you've effectively taken God out of your faith. And Jesus says, when we do that, when we just want the applause of others, that's what you'll get. <laughs> right? So we take all the stuff that was meant to get us closer to God, scripture, church, prayer, and when we turn it horizontal to please men, instead of getting a living relationship with an eternal loving father who will transform every part of your heart and life by the power of his spirit, instead of getting that, you get a few moments of this. 
thing about that is it's just as fickle as men are. And I think Jesus would warn us, those who cry Hosanna on Monday may be crying crucify on Friday, right? Dude, it's a horrible exchange to live your life to please men around you and lose sight of what it looks like to please God. It's a horrible exchange, y'all, right? It's a fickle exchange. Listen, there are a lot of wonderful, life-giving consequences of being a part of Christian community. Tons of life-giving consequences of reading scripture and prayer. But if the end goal isn't, I want to fall in love with God himself, if it's not God for his own sake, you've become mercenary in your faith. And you've missed the point. You're a mercenary. You don't care about the victory. You don't care about the intended goal. You're just getting what you want out of it. Whether it's social this or, you know what I'm talking about? Mercenary. Your faith turned mercenary. You're not in it for the intended goal. So what's this look like? Let's, let's wrap it up. And let me just give you some application, maybe. Sure, okay. What's it look like? Uh, for me, I said this a couple weeks ago, there is a big difference in between opening the Bible to brush up on first century Palestinian history, which people do, love doing that sometimes, love that, right? It's a big difference in that, and opening the Bible to commune with a father who loves you deeply. It cha- Dude, it changes the whole paradigm of why you're doing what you're doing, right? It turns the whole exercise from academic to relational, right? Which changes your whole approach. Look, y'all listen, the Bible is not simply mere facts to be assimilated. It is describing to you a person to be enjoyed, right? If we study the Bible but never come to him, if we never acknowledge his authority, his kingship over all life, dude, you've missed the point of the whole Bible. And at the risk of being overly prescriptive, let me just say, it could look like this. When you open the Bible, when you go to read the Bible, before you read a word, close your eyes, take a deep breath, calm your nerves, and calm your impulse to move on to the next thing quickly and say, Father, speak to me. And see if that doesn't change the way you read the Bible. Dude, when you pray, prayer at root is conversation with God. But most of our prayers consist of a wish list for God to do, and then promptly in the name of Jesus. Then we're out, right? <laughs> okay, what if you actually gave time for God to get a word in edgewise in your prayers, in your conversations with God? What if when you went to pray, you said your things and did the stuff, and God, I need this, and blah, 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 and then said, Lord, what do you think? And then just listened. And then open the word and talk to your friend, knowing that God speaks to that too. But guys, what's all this talk about being led by the Spirit and listening to God if we don't really believe he speaks? Huh? What I'm trying to tell you is you have to acknowledge God is a real being with desires and a will and affections. And if you'd never shut up long enough for him to reveal those things to you, you're going to miss out. I believe God will speak to you. I'm those, one of those kind of crazy guys that thinks God still does it today, still wants to reveal himself to you. Dallas Willard points out, in closing, Dallas Willard points out, if you're at a party and it becomes blatantly clear that no one at that party really cares about what you have to say or wants to hear your, like they interrupt you, they cut you off, they speak for you every time you try to express yourself, will you hang out long? No, I'm out. I'm going to go somewhere where people will listen and appreciate my presence and opinion and thoughts. Dude, if you make it clear to God that you are not interested in him for his own sake, that you are not willing to really listen to what he wants, he will find someone else who is. And I don't know how long he'll stand at the door and knock. 
But apparently that's the situation of the church in many places. Jesus standing outside of his own house knocking, saying, will you let me in? And we read scripture and think I'm letting you in, and he's still knocking. Will you let me in? Will you acknowledge my authority over the universe and your own life? Will you let me be who I am, king, king? Will you let my kingdom come in your life? And to do that, you got to get off the throne. I mean, it's just all nonsense to say that we're Christians. If you're still king of your life, you're not in the kingdom. Only when he becomes king do we get to go in the kingdom. I guess we're doing a series about the kingdom because we're just talking about that all the time. It just keeps on coming up. In the same way, y'all, if, if you don't feel wanted, you back out, right? If you discover someone is only hanging out with you to get something else that they want, like, you know what I mean? You guys never do that? You know what I'm talking about? Like, dude, you're just hanging out with me because, like, you want to up your career or, like, you want to, whatever it is. Do, do you not feel used? Someone's doing that? Like, you, you scorn the relationship. You despise them because they're just using you. What I'm trying to tell you is there's a real person on the other side of our faith. And there are so many good things that come from being a Christian, being in community, being a, a thankful person, being in church, all these good things. But if you're just here for the good things and not God himself, your faith is mercenary. You've lost the goal. And it's possible to be doing all the right things, right? And miss the person, Jesus, who is calling out to you through all those right things. And if you're here today, right, and you have a long history of doing the right things, right? Reading, praying, volunteering, but your, your heart has never awakened to love God for his own sake. Like, if someone were to ask you, what's your faith mean? And you might say, well, you know, you read, you pray, you go to church, but it would never cross your mind to say, you get God. That's what you get. Like, you get God. You get to know him and love him and commune with him and enjoy him. If you're here today and your heart has lost all motivation to, to know God himself and you're just doing the practices and the disciplines and stuff like that, dude, I want to create space for you to acknowledge God's authority over your life and heart, man. I don't want you to leave here without thinking that you, you had the opportunity today to acknowledge the place of Jesus in the cosmos and over your own life as well, right? I, like, I, I got a sense some of us have been doing things uh, not aware that Jesus is on the other side, wanting to speak and commune with us, right? And for some of us, it just might be repenting for doing all the churchy things for the wrong reasons, right? I'd like to suggest to you that the issue has not been about Scripture the issue in reality has not been about church. It's been about the authority of Jesus. It's been about the authority of Jesus and an unwillingness in our hearts to not acknowledge it. So let's, we're just going to transition to a time of prayer right where we're at, right where we're sitting. So just get comfy, okay? I just want to say if, if you're here today and the verdict is still out on Jesus, I'm so glad you're here. And I just want to say, man, come back. We're just going to be digging into Scripture the next couple of weeks. Um, and come back and just continue to assess uh, what place you are willing to give Jesus in your life. But I just want to let you know, to, you can make a decision today uh, about the authority of Jesus. And I just want to let you know, like, this, that's always on the table. And it's going to continue to come to the forefront of our services more and more and more. I want you to know, guys, that every week we gather, we will make an opportunity for people to decide that Jesus is king, to get to expand his kingdom, to enter into his kingdom. And if, if that's you today, if you're on the outside looking in and you know it, and you, you want to make a decision, man, come up, get prayer today. And come up, tell one of these people that love you and, and we trust and that would love to pray with you about um, your relationship to Jesus.
Let me pray for us. God, Holy Spirit, we love you, God. Thank you that we are on mission with you in the earth, God. Uh, God, would you open our eyes, would you mobilize us as a people um, to be about your business, Lord. Ministry of Jesus, come. Manifest yourself to us in strength and power, God. Show our hearts that you are, in fact, near, leading, guiding, alive, with all authority and power over all darkness. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, God. In your name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for coming, guys. Have a great week. See you next time.